Hey there, podcast listeners. We are so glad you're listening. We really do consider this podcast a vital part of our ministry and are so glad that you found us and are tuning in. My name is Art Wright, and I'm the senior pastor here at Williamsburg Baptist Church. And today's sermon is an extra special one because this past weekend we hosted a, a it was called the Summit, a youth conference put on by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Virginia and our good friends there. And we hosted nearly 200 folks, or probably 200 folks in our church, uh, youth and youth volunteers and helpers alike, as uh, the youth uh, enjoyed worship together and did breakout groups focused on spirituality and advocacy and mission. And it was a delightful weekend. It really was such a rich, wonderful experience together. And it felt so good to be able to host it in our church and in our space and to host churches and youth from all around the state. As part of that event, the executive coordinator of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, CBF Global, was here, the Reverend Dr. Paul Baxley. And Paul was gracious enough to accept our invitation to preach on Sunday morning. And so the sermon you're about to listen to is the Reverend Dr. Paul Baxley preaching on John chapter 18, verses 28 through 40, which is the first part of Jesus's trial before Pontius Pilate. And we were delighted to welcome Paul. He's a wonderful speaker and so so thrilled that you're listening in. If you'd like to find out more about him or CBF, you can head head over to cbf.net on the web. If you want to find out more about what's going on in the life of our church and our community of faith, you can look us up at williamsburgbaptist.com. Of course, if you have any prayer concerns or want to reach out to me personally, you can email me at pastor at williamsburgbaptist.com. We really are delighted you're listening. Hope that this sermon is meaningful to you. God bless. It is a tremendous gift to be with you in worship today at Williamsburg Baptist Church. Yes, Art, there is residual energy in the room because of the several hundred teenagers from all across Virginia who were here just recently offering their prayers, hearing the word proclaimed. But there's also energy being in worship in this hour. And I just want you to know how grateful the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is to be in partnership with you. And what a privilege we count it to serve you, to be in relationship with you, to share ministry with you, to work with Art, with CBF Virginia, and your congregation to see ways to serve Christ more faithfully together. It is an honor to be in worship, to know you, and to share this time. You may notice I'm wearing something of an unusual purple stole. This purple stole uh, was actually made in Slovakia. Among the 57 full-time field personnel, that is our language for missionary, who the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship has commissioned is a couple that serves in Slovakia. Uh, We also have a couple who 20 years ago was commissioned to serve in Kyiv. So when you talk about the war in Ukraine and you pray about the war in Ukraine and you watch refugees leaving Ukraine to go to Slovakia 
and go to Poland and go to other parts of Europe, you're not just spectators to a story that is tragic. You're part of a community that commissioned one set of missionaries to serve in Kiev who spent 20 years building a beautiful ministry called Village of Hope that was bombed by the Russian military. You're part of a community that today supports other missionary field personnel who are caring for refugees fleeing the Russian invasion. And I wear this stole today to remind me and to remind you that it's not just that Williamsburg Baptist Church and the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship are in a relationship with one another. We are in a relationship with people in the middle of this crisis and we're on the front lines of the extension of God's grace in the presence of that war. I thank you for your partnership. Today, though, I've come to ask you an entirely different question. You see, your pastor invited me to preach on a text about which he wrote his dissertation. So we're going to jump in together. And I want to jump in by asking you what you make of Pilate. Do you agree with some of the scholars and theologians who say Pontius Pilate, he, he is a really well-meaning and ineffective leader. Like, he really wants to do the right thing. He, he knows Jesus isn't guilty of anything. I mean, we've got it in the transcript. But he just can't figure out a way to make it happen. Is he a, is he a weak, well-intentioned, ineffective leader? Or is he, as scholar David Rinsberger argued in a book I met 30 years ago, read 30 years ago for the first time when I was in college, is Pontius Pilate a manipulative, despicable, cantankerous leader who knows Jesus is innocent but doesn't care and wants to use Jesus as a means of something diabolical like humiliating the Jewish religious leaders? If you read the literature long enough, as your pastor has, you're well aware that there is a wide range of public opinion about Pilate, even though Gallup wasn't surveying in the first century. What the text from the Gospel of John makes clear is that Pilate finds himself early on that good Friday morning caught between two kingdoms. And his predicament is first described just by the spatial dimensions of the text. The Gospel of John loves to arrange things. It's not the first time this has happened in the text where some things happen inside and some things happen outside. And the way John describes Good Friday, especially Pilate spends a lot of his time running between what's going on on the outside and what's going on inside. In this particular case, he's caught between the outside and the inside because the Jewish religious authorities are not willing to come inside his palace because they're afraid if they come inside his palace, get this, they'll be ritually unclean and they won't be able to celebrate the Passover, so they stay outside. 
And Pilate has to go outside to meet them. But when Pilate goes outside to meet them, he goes into a world that he is incredibly familiar with. He's a citizen of almost no no matter how you describe his political character or his personal integrity. Because that world he goes outside into is a world where politics and leadership and power often express themselves in violence, in denigration. In humiliation, you you overhear those headwinds when Pilate goes out to meet the Jewish authorities and he says to them, what charge do you bring against the man who's inside? And they say, oh, Pilate, you know us. You can trust us. If, If we didn't have some dirt on this man, we wouldn't have brought him to you. You see the way they try to ingratiate themselves to Pilate the way they try to strike a deal between the Jewish leadership and the Roman Empire to get their will? Do you see how they're trying to use Jesus as a means of protecting their own power, protecting their own position, privileging their own circumstance? Do you see the ways that In that outside world, politics is characterized by manipulating the facts, by pursuing dangerous kinds of collaborations, by saying whatever it takes to accomplish the objective. It's a world of violence, of of violent speech and violent action. And if you don't believe that's true, you just hang on till next Sunday. That's the world outside. But then Pilate goes inside and there's Jesus. And no matter what else you make of this encounter, several things are immediately clear. Jesus has no idea to play the outside game. He has no desire to participate in the patterns that are going on outside. When Pilate asks him questions, he doesn't answer directly. Sometimes Pilate asks him one question and he gives an entirely different kind of answer. He's refusing to join in the kind of co-opting and manipulating that's going on outside. He refuses to cooperate. And then he says something that takes the the tension that Pilate's standing in, this this contrast between kingdoms, the, the kingdom that's outside and the kingdom being announced inside. He says, you know, Pilate, my kingship is not from this world. If my kingship were from this world, my followers, my guards would have had a fight to protect me from being handed over to the Jewish authorities, but they didn't. And so it's obvious to you that my kingship is not from here. 
he names the difference between the way he is operating and what's going on outside. If he was part of the kingdom that's being lived out outside Pilate's house that Pilate participates in, that the Jewish authorities participate in, he would have pursued violent means to avoid this circumstance. If his kingdom was from this world, of this world, if his politics was the kind of politics that we always see in this world, then he would be playing Pilate's games. He would be answering Pilate's questions. He'd be currying Pilate's favor. His followers would be fighting. But none of that's going on. And it's Jesus says, because his kingdom is not from this world. His authority is not an, a worldly political authority. His political strategy is not one that these folks recognize. It's not from here. Instead, Jesus says, he comes to testify to the truth. He comes through his words and his action by what he says and what he doesn't say, by what he does and what he doesn't do, to bear witness to truth. Do you see the different worlds that Pilate finds himself caught between? That conniving, manipulating, violent world that's outside? And this non-participating, truth-testifying world that is breaking out inside. The, the, the conflict grows to the point where Pilate throws up his hands and he says, well, truth, what's that? I think, I think Pilate's question has two effects. One effect of Pilate's question is you can say, well, he's giving up. He's going to go back outside. It's more comfortable for him out there. That's the kind of politics and structure and communication and violence and manipulation and denigration in which he is most at home. But it also has a different kind of effect. It opens up the struggle. You see, Pilate walks out of the inside before the question can be answered. And so therefore it has the effect of hanging. It hangs in time. It hangs in history. It lands in Williamsburg, Virginia on a Sunday morning and forces us to enter into Pilate's place of struggle. It draws us into the drama. No longer is it, oh, we're spectators. Isn't it awful that Pilate's in this terrible circumstance? And it's so foreign to imagine living in a world where Jesus wants one thing from us and the world is operating a different way. And isn't that a safe distance we can keep on a Sunday morning? And we can watch poor Pilate as he dashes and darts back and forth between the inside and the outside and the politics of Jesus and the politics of the world. And isn't that a fascinating intellectual exercise? The kind of thing you could talk about over coffee. But as Pilate's question swirls and hovers, it creates a space in which we have to recognize that just like Pilate, we, you and I, are caught 
between kingdoms. Because you see that world that's outside of Pilate's headquarters? That world is still very much alive. It's alive in Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. It's alive in politics in Russia and in the United States and everywhere in between. It's alive in the decay in American public discourse. Manipulation? Denigration? Demonization of those who think differently? Violent speech, coercion, the kind of stuff that Pilate and the Jewish religious leaders practice on Good Friday morning, those are political practices and languages and habits that are alive and well and are tearing nations apart, tearing the world apart. And my friends, they're tearing congregations apart because one of the things that's been happening in the last several years is we've had way too much time to watch cable news. And that's a place where the world outside is having a field day. As the language of division and destruction and demonization and denigration. And it's too often, that world's too often alive among denominational types like me. Have you heard any Baptist preachers lately? Often we find ourselves tempted to use Jesus, kind of like Pilate and the Jewish authorities do in this text, as a pawn in our political game, as a means of accomplishing our end. It's convenient. He always agrees with me. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus. But in the middle of all of that, Jesus says, no, I refuse to participate. I refuse to play those games. I refuse to sing those songs. I refuse to answer your nefarious questions. My kingdom is not from here. Now, y'all, that's a good Greek word. That doesn't mean my kingdom has no interest in here. One of the most dangerous misreadings of Jesus' statement to Pilate is that Jesus just has no interest in things public. That Jesus has no interest in justice. That Jesus has no interest in politics. It's just, it's just spiritual and it's removed. Y'all, there's a word for that and it's Gnostic. Jesus has a profound interest in what's going on outside Pilate's house. He just doesn't have any interest in participating in it. He's interested in a different kind of witness, a different kind of love, a different kind of life, a different kind of testimony, a testimony that bears witness to the truth because he himself is the truth. This morning, it's not just Pilate who's caught between two kingdoms. We are. Because all around us there is a politics of derision and denigration and demonization and manipulation that turns to violence and 
Jesus stands in the middle of sanctuaries and says, my kingdom is not from this world. My followers don't fight. My followers bear witness to the truth. My followers speak truth to power because my followers are in relationship with me who is the truth and whose power is greater than any of the powers this world has to offer. You see, that's the question on the table today. Do we think Jesus' power is ultimate? Or do we think Pilate's is? Now, I am a Baptist preacher and we're getting close to invitation time. We're not going to sing 78 stanzas of just as I am, I don't think. But most of us who grew up Baptist had a day like I had in January of 1979. For some reason, as children, perhaps as teenagers, like some of the folks who are in the pews this morning, we walked down an aisle, we gave our lives to Jesus, and then we stood in a baptistry like that and we made a profession, Jesus is Lord, which means Jesus is my King. Jesus is the ultimate power in my life. Jesus is a higher authority for me than anything else or anyone else, than nation or party or tribe or occupation. Jesus above all else. And you know what? That's so easy to do when you're nine and you like your pastor. But then you discover that it's still in so many ways early in the morning on Good Friday. And you live in a world filled with the kind of politics that made Good Friday happen. And there are all kinds of voices whispering in your ears. That's what you have to do. That's how you get something done. That's the only thing that works. Manipulation, demonization, denigration, violence. That's just what it takes, right? Hmm. Kind of like Pilate's question. What is truth? That question also hangs in the air. That's what it takes, right? Which power is really ultimate, right? The power present in Jesus or the power unleashed by Pilate? We carry that struggle with us all through Good Friday. We carry that struggle with us 
through 48 hours of biblical text that seems like an eternity. And the question, my sisters and brothers, that is in play when Sunday morning dawns is which power is ultimate? On Good Friday, it looks one way. And if it is that way, then we better just saddle up and join with Pilate and get back outside. But if it isn't that way, if come Sunday morning, that power is not most powerful, then we better stand with Jesus and heal this broken world. Wait for Sunday and see which power prevails.